the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I'm actually really excited this morning to start a new series called Finding Your Rhythm. Uh, this explores two of my biggest passions, one of which is the spiritual disciplines. Several years ago, the Tennessee Christian Teen Commission asked me to write a curriculum about the spiritual disciplines, helping teenagers actually be able to really connect with them and use them on a regular basis. And before then, like, like I think any Christian, I had prayed, I had fasted, I had attended church, I had done most of them already, but I didn't realize their power. I didn't realize that these are the power tools of spirituality. This is exactly how God enables us to connect with him and actually make exponential gains quicker than we could ever make in any other way. And ever since then, that was like almost 15 years ago now, I've just been obsessed with them. And I love to unpack them and help people apply them to their lives. Another thing is with this whole series is using music as a metaphor. And you may not know this about me, but I love, I love to communicate anyway. I love to take people on a journey where they don't know something and now they do. Especially love to lead people into the presence of God. But I would much rather be singing than talking any day. I love music. Music is like my heart and soul. Music is a thing. So anytime I get to talk about music, I come alive too. So I don't know how excited you guys are, but I'm pretty pumped this morning. And I, I'm thankful that you guys are going to be able to walk on this journey with us. Are you ready? Here you go. Here we go. God loves to start in unlikely places. And thank God he does. Because most of us are not necessarily, I know I'm not necessarily the person you would probably cast as the hero of anybody's story. And yet God uses me and he uses you. And you look through the Bible, you see all these crazy people and groups of people that God used to change the world. And you're like, seriously, them? And yet what a beautiful, wonderful thing every single time. Well, one of those is where we're going to start today as we start to explore what fellowship is biblically. We're going to look at the day the church started. It happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 begins like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. I'm going to read that one more time. Just pay attention to the wording. There's a very serious, uh, very important part of fellowship right there. When, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now these people that were all together, it's important that you know who these people were. There were about 120 people and they were the faithful who had followed Jesus. Out of all the thousands of people that had been fed or given wine at a wedding, uh, who had heard the teaching of Jesus, who had followed him some and left him some, uh, even the, among the 12 that he had chosen, they'd kind of rejected him and come back. It, it was complicated. But these people overall, these are not only the disciples, but Jesus' mom, Mary Magdalene, a few other people we know by name, but the Bible specifically tells us there's about 120 of them. And these were the ones who, after Jesus died and rose again, he spent about 40 days with them, making sure they understood what this kingdom thing was going to be, or at least doing his best to prepare them. These were the ones who were on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended into heaven and gave the Great Commission. These were the people that he first told to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things he had commanded. These were the people he had promised for the first time that he would always be with them even to the end 
of the age. And then we know from Acts 1.8 that he had given them some very specific instructions. He said, you will need to go and wait in Jerusalem. And then he, he tells them what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if they were paying attention at all, and I hope you guys are this morning, there's really no way to miss that this is a global vision that Jesus has for them. There's no way to miss that they have to do it by working together. They're not just partnering with him. This is not just some sort of a self-help kind of an organization he's setting up where people can talk to Jesus one-on-one and learn some good things and apply it to their life. This is a team he is asking them to join. This is a movement he is asking them to create. This is something brand new that they're going to do, and he, there's no way to miss this. He wants it to go throughout the entire world. Is everybody seeing, the, seeing this together this morning? Hallelujah. Well, the story goes on. They've waited. It's Pentecost. They're all together in one place. People from all over had come back to celebrate this. People from all different languages and everything, but they believed in God. Here they come. Here's what happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Excuse me. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, just for clarity, I know we come from a lot of different perspectives and stuff. This is not talking about speaking in tongues as many people practice it today, where they pray individually in a language that only they and God understand. This is the Holy Spirit enabling these people to interpret into languages that other people do understand so that they can hear the gospel. So what's happening is Peter is talking, and then if you've ever been somewhere where somebody's like interpreting in ASL, you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of that kind of a situation. If anybody speaks ASL, I'm sorry if I just said something offensive. I don't speak it myself. Um, But but they're, they're interpreting into all these languages. And I don't know about you, but I think it would be a little disorienting if suddenly you heard yourself talking in another language, and people are understanding it. I I grew up speaking three different languages just because I grew up overseas, and that seemed kind of normal. But there's a lot of languages I I don't understand at all. One of those is French. Uh, But but if one day I'm up here, and all of a sudden I go, hey, parlez-vous français, I'd be more freaked out than you guys are. I'd be going, what in the world? But somebody, I guarantee you, if that was happening, there's a French person there that really needed to hear something. Do you understand? Okay, so that's what's happening here. But everybody is kind of freaked out, and they can see it in the, the, uh, this group of people. They can see it in their eyes that they're a little freaked out too. And somebody in the crowd said, ah, they're just drunk. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever spent much time with drunk people. But my understanding is it usually doesn't um, increase your ability to be articulate. It doesn't usually allow you superpowers or a, 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 a better than normal ability to communicate. Anyway, I'm just saying. And so Peter, like most pastors ever since, starts out with a joke. He says, brothers and sisters, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
How long would they have to been drinking to be drunk by now? What kind of drunks must they be? He's starting out with a joke. He breaks the ice, and then he starts the sermon. Now, before we go any further, i got to tell you one more story. This actually really goes with what we're talking about today. But back in the day when I was in college at Johnson, uh, in the missions class, we heard this story. It's a true story. I won't name any names. But there was an American speaker and author who got asked to speak in another country at a revival. And he went over there, and the interpreter that God had orchestrated to work with him, thank God, you'll see in a second, the interpreter comes to him earlier that day, and he says, is there any way you could show me your outline and also, like, the key scriptures that you're going to be using so I can look those up? It'd make it so much easier. I'd like to pray about it. I'd like to be prepared as I interpret for you. And he said, well, you know, I just wrote this new book on this really deep concept about this and this and this for Christians. And I'm pretty sure that's why they asked me to come. I'm going to be talking about that tonight. Here's the book. And, and the interpreter said, well, respectfully, um, this is an evangelistic thing. You're going to have people here, lots of, the, the, most of the people here don't even know who Jesus is. And he said, well, I think the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. I'm the guy they asked to come. So you just do your job and I'll do mine. Well, they start talking. The, the, the big speaker, he's, he speaks and the interpreter says a couple lines. And the big, he speaks, he speaks, he speaks. It goes back and forth. And thousands of people came for, forward and gave their life to Jesus. And after it was all over, the, the, the big speaker went to the interpreter and he says, so I think the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing, right? He said, yes, yes, he did. He said, but you should know that while you were preaching on that subject, I was preaching on the story of the prodigal son. <laughs> and ever since I heard that, I've been a little suspicious whenever I see somebody interpreting. <laughs> but what a beautiful thing, because the Holy Spirit was bigger than that guy's ego. And the Holy Spirit teamed him up with who needed to actually be speaking that night. And that's how he does. Sometimes it's against our will. But here is the core truth we've got to own if we're going to get the idea of fellowship God's way. First thing, let's say these three words together. Ready? Here we go. It's going to be on the screen. Three words. Yes, here we go. We team up. We team up. Christian fellowship, but nobody uses that word outside of church anymore. And in, in church, we usually misunderstand it. It usually means mingling. Or maybe eating. So much deeper than that. It's so much more like a marriage than a meal. It's like forming a band. Here comes the music. Are you ready? If you've ever been part of a band, you, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you're, you're missing something awesome. Because there's something that happens when you have to listen to somebody else. When you have to slow down and speed up to match them. When you're harmonizing, when you're playing around. Where you're not playing exactly what you'd play normally when you were all by yourself. Because somebody else is playing part of that over here. Somebody else is playing part of that over here. You're working in a group. But the, the, the corporate sound is so much better. How many? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced this. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, if you're not a musician, a lot of you are, that's really cool. But if, if you've ever been in sports, if you ever worked on a successful team at school or at work, you, you get the idea. It's the same concept. But this fellowship idea that God gives us is where we, we exponentially increase our joy and our skill and our focus and our ability to impact the community because we team up. The military has always understood this well. 
Any military people out there today? If you're part of their family, raise your hand too, because you guys work just as hard and sacrifice just as much. We're actually going to honor them at the end of this service because it's almost Veterans Day. But I just wanted to point out, they get it. And there's a, there's a level of camaraderie, a level of, of we're a team that lasts long after they don't even actively serve anymore that the rest of us civilians never understand. There should be, and ideally there always is, but there should be something about Christians that nobody else can understand. That's fellowship. Are you with me? In great, great music always has great collaborations. We'll talk more about that in a second. But first thing, before we get there, we have to, it's not just about teaming up. It's teaming up for a reason. So there's three more words we're going to say together. We work together. One more time. We work together. And if you've ever been in a band, there's probably some nights where you get together and everybody just kind of hangs out in the garage and makes noise right? But, but if you're a successful band, if it's an ongoing thing that actually means something and goes somewhere, you actually have something that you're working on. You've got a set group of songs. You've got a specific concert or a specific album or something that you're working toward. And when the real changes happen, when the real collaboration happens, when you all individually and together exponentially get better, is when you're working on something. When you're trying to accomplish something together. Am, am I right? Do you understand how that works? And that's the same way. Here, here's a little tip. Your neighborhood doesn't care if you and your garage band are having a good time or not. They don't. They will care if you're really loud and obnoxious. They, they will care, not in a good way. They will care in a good way if you eventually get good enough that you actually present a concert somewhere, or they get to hear the song, or you, you open the door and you play it out and it actually sounds good. They might actually appreciate that. But they don't care about what you do inside of your little room. They care about what you bring to them on their turf. They care that you've, pre you've prepared and are presenting something to them that matters to them. That's speaking their language if you will. Speaking of speaking other languages, let's get back to this sermon. Again, picture. Here's Peter, and he's preaching, and everybody else is interpreting in all these different ways. He's made his joke. He's made his point. He says, there, nobody's drunk. Something way better is going on. Watch this. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. You see what's happening? He's saying it's not just going to be the prophets and the priests at the tabernacle. There's going to be a moment where everybody has access to God. Where the presence of God, the tangible presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God can be in anybody, male or female, whatever their economic status, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever their vocation is, they can all connect with God. That's why he wraps up this whole thing. He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. But this word saved, doesn't mean it's like fellowship. We use it all the time. There's a church sense. 
What we usually mean at church is if we say somebody got saved, we mean somebody prayed a prayer, got baptized. There's something in our head that we go, here's what they did. They punched their ticket. Now, if they died, they'd go to heaven, not hell. Am I right? Well, that's a tiny little part of what it is in the Bible. That's never how it's presented. If we did a wedding here today and everybody said, that, or not everybody, but the two people they're supposed to, sorry. They say their vows, they exchange their rings, they get their paper, they kiss, we say, hey, we present to you. We go through the whole thing and they leave this building and God forbid they get T-boned on the way out and die. They die married, right? But is that what they're trying to do when they got married? That's not, that's not a marriage. That's not what a wedding's about. You're trying to do life together. You're trying to create a life together. And that's how salvation is always presented in the scripture. It's never presented as a one and done kind of a situation, an experience where you just kind of do something in a public spot and now you get to go to heaven when you die. That's the bare minimum, almost a side effect of true salvation, the true restoration and renewal that God has in mind for all of us. We must never, never miss that as we read. It's so obvious in this story. But it's also obvious throughout the rest of the New Testament. John writes this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we do not uh, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. He's using imagery from the Old Testament, especially Jeremiah, who, who said to look for the old ways, look for the ancient ways, look for the good ways, ask where they are and follow them, walk in them. Fellowship is about walking the path together. It's about going somewhere together, taking a journey together. It's not just joining the team, it's working together. Gabe Lyons says, the next Christians, he's talking about the people that are going to survive all the stuff that's going on right now and thrive and keep the church going until Jesus comes back and grow it big enough till we finally reach everybody in every nation. And then he comes back. He says, the next Christians aren't content hanging out with their own. They are determined to participate in restoring the broader world. Church has always been and always will be a fellowship of people that goes far beyond the walls of any building, denomination, or meeting space. The next Christian's churches see renewal and restoration as critical to their mission. This is what we work together on. We're restoring the world together. We're bringing people to the only one who has the power to truly restore them from the inside out. And as we unite around that, 
no matter what else we might think or believe about other things at the same time, as we little by little get closer to Jesus, all of us, we're going to little by little get closer to each other too and bring people with us. And that little triangle in the middle, remember this? We spent a whole month on this. If you've been here, hopefully this makes sense. That's where church happens. It's the same vision. That's fellowship. That's what happens is when all of those circles are interacting at the same time. Paul writes about it in Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your sermon outline, which is always a Bible study, I, I, there's so many more scriptures than I can even highlight today. One of which is the rest of that passage, which says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And it talks about the example of this kind of love, this kind of fellowship that he set for us. Peter talks about it. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multiple, multitude of sins. Sorry, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have been given to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. If we do this right, God's going to get glory from it, not us. But don't miss that there's a lot of work that we have to do. Paul said, he planted seeds, somebody else watered them, it's God that makes it grow. God deserves all the glory, but he planted the seeds, somebody else watered them. This is something that we participate, God invites us to participate in. And how many of, how many of you are gardeners? Anybody like to garden? Okay. A lot of the rest of us would really like to have tomatoes fresh. A lot of the rest of us would really like to have pretty flowers out in front. How many know that you guys have that because you worked at it? Right? It, it, it's, it's God that makes it grow. It, it's not you that makes that miracle that, that is a little tiny seed turning into something beautiful or something edible and delicious. Yes, that, that's the glory of God. But I don't have those same things in my yard because I didn't do the work you did. And that is, how the, that is how the spiritual disciplines work. God, it's God who does something transformative in us. But if we don't commit to fellowship, to teaming up, to working together, and to growing together, it's not going to get done. We have to put in the work. Let's say these last three words together. We're going to wrap up, get back to the story that we started telling a second ago. And, and we're going to wrap this up with a challenge. But let's say these words together. Ready? Here we go. We grow together. All the legendary bands are bigger than the sum of their parts. The Beatles would, after they broke up, every single one of them, you may hate the Beatles, I don't know, but they're a pretty respected band. They were revolutionary, whether you like them or not, okay? None of them were as successful as solo artists, even close, than they were as the Beatles. And they probably wouldn't have been as successful as they were without their producer, George Martin. 
Sorry, I'm, here comes my geekiness. I can't help myself. Or their rivalry with the beach boys across the big pond. There, there were so many things that were influencing the choices they made and how their music got so revolutionary and changed the face of music itself. There's a collaboration thing that happens. It's not just about how individually good we may be. It's about how well we work together and the kind of vision that we have and our willingness to adapt and bring in guest people to help. Eric Clapton did some of the coolest of uh, the Beatles guitar work ever. I'm sorry, I gotta get back to where we're going here. But here's the truth. When we work as a team, something better happens. And we've got to work at working at a team. Dr. Tony Evans says, discipleship is a process, not an event. And this demands spiritual growth. If you've ever been in a band, you know this. You know you have to work at it to get good. Back to Peter again. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see that? God is glorified when we do the work. And we do the work together. Gabe Lyons again. He says, church is a place where people can bounce ideas and challenges and dreams off a group of trusted friends who have their best interests in mind. They push through the pain when most people run and enjoy what redeemed and restored relationships have to offer. Paul writes to the Ephesians. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, that's the leaders of a church, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. He wraps up that beautiful passage with, from him, Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Back to the first day of the church. This is still, to, as far as I know, the best illustration of what fellowship looks like. Joining the fellowship and then creating a fellowship that the world could ne just can't even understand. Peter gave the invitation at this first sermon ever. 3,000 people responded. They were baptized into Christ that day. Acts 2, 37 through 47, we're going to jump in the middle of it. It says, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's one of the many places in the Bible we get the idea that we're supposed to prioritize big group gatherings like this. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is one of the many places in the Bible that we get the idea we've also got to meet in smaller groups. We now call them growth groups so that we all remember they're designed to make us grow. Whether that's a Sunday school class or a home Bible study, the youth group, the kids youth group, whatever women's Bible study or men's Bible study or whatever else you may have committed to, you need that. We invite you, every one of you, to be part of that. This is the pattern that we see. This is how fellowship is formed. This is actually tilling up the dirt so that a garden can actually happen. Are you with me? We have to put in that work if we expect the results to happen. Those of you who are parents and grandparents this morning, I would love to challenge you. This whole series, Glow and The Hill, our kids and teen ministries, they've actually got stuff prepared for you so that in advance you can challenge your kids with what they're going to be learning here. I would love to see you prioritize that and do that. Talk to Billy. He's back there. Talk to Emmeline. She's in Kids Central. And they'll give you those things. But they're also, at the same time, the Glow Kids are working on spiritual disciplines. And the Hill is especially focusing on the concept of Sabbath, of working it into the rhythm of your life to actually rest, to actually focus on God, to actually do good at specific, regular times. That's something that I know I struggle with a lot. I'm really excited that they're learning that at this stage in their life. But the point here is we're inviting all of you to live this out. This is what we're trying to do is be this kind of a church. We want to not only have you come forward, have you join the fellowship, have you get baptized and give your life to Jesus and become a disciple. We don't want to just teach you the, how to obey him in the big group, but all of those have to happen or you're not going to grow. And we're not going to grow. We're also challenging you to do that in smaller groups. We're challenging you to do that alone. And over the next several weeks, we're going to tell you exactly how. Hopefully you already know, but I know I need to be reminded sometimes, no, you actually have to do this. That's the journey we're going to try and go on together. If you would, this morning, we're inviting you to just take one huge step in that direction. We're going to stand and sing as we always do. But I'd like you this morning to just take a moment as they come. I'm going to stop talking, actually, before they play. Give you just a second and pray. Say, say, God, what step do I need to take? Maybe you need to join a garage band. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to join one of those growth groups. You need to connect with some scriptures, with some other Christians. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus in the first place. Maybe you'd like to officially join this fellowship. We don't want to put pressure on anybody about any of those. But I'm going to stop. There's going to be a moment of silence. I'd like you to stand. Ask God what he wants you to do this morning. And do that while we stand and sing.